Welcome to DevOps and Docker Talk. I'm your host, Brett Fisher. In this episode that was live streamed in July 2023, Dan Garfield of CodeFresh joins me to talk about GitOps and using Argo CD to deploy everything on Kubernetes. Dan Garfield is the co-founder and the chief open source officer of CodeFresh and is an Argo maintainer that helps people and organizations adopt GitOps, one of my favorite things to talk about. We take some great questions about how GitOps is different than just triggering deployments and other automation platforms. And we also dig into the four principles of GitOps and how CodeFresh uses Argo CD as a part of their CI CD offering. This is the edited version of our weekly live show that you can join on Thursdays at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern at bread.live. So please enjoy this episode with Dan Garfield of CodeFresh. Dan, welcome. Hey, thanks, Brad. I'm excited to be with you and hang out. And I was just tweeting that you're like kind of a legend and the community owes you a lot because of how much, how many trainings you've done. There's so many people who are in this space now, thanks to your bootstrapping and, and teaching them the ropes. And that's pretty awesome to be with you. Well, thank you. I'm ready to get into it. I'm excited. I'm pretty interested in your, in your Argo training. And it seems like that's been super interesting for people. You've had a lot of interest in Argo. Yeah, that all happened out of the fact that I kept getting consulting clients that were either wanting to use Argo or they definitely wanted GitOps. But if they were choosing a tool, they were probably choosing Argo. It's not I'm not anti-flux or anti-anything. I think all these tools are great. And we're still, I feel like, very early days in terms of what GitOps means in terms of tooling. But Argo felt like it was sort of winning the marketing game or the hearts, the love of people. Maybe I think it's partly the UI is pretty, pretty on point. And so I thought, well, if they're all running it and they want more of it, maybe maybe I should help people with it. But the challenge with GitOps, I feel like, is that it's kind of like this whole automation game and why you have a company <laughs> is that there's yeah. a lot in the middle. There's a lot of complexity and a lot of decisions. And I realize it, it's hard to put that in a course, right? Like it's pretty hard to give people specific implementation guidance when everyone's so different in the way that their workflows are and their human processes are and so many assumptions built in to like how people operate. And so many people are coming to this from a Jenkins world. And it's, for example, you know, we work on when the Argo project, we've got Argo workflows for doing workflow engine and Kubernetes. We've got Argo CD for doing GitOps. We've got Argo rollouts for doing progressive delivery. So we have all these different projects. And all of these people hear about Argo being really good for deploying software and they show up and they look at the webpage, you know, the homepage of Argo, and they see that there's these four projects and they're like, oh, which one of these things should I use to deploy? And a lot of people actually just grab Argo workflows because they're like, oh, that kind of looks like CICD. I'm used to that. So I'll right. start using this. And I talk to people all the time who are like, yeah, I'm building my deployments using Argo workflows. And when I drill down with them, it's because they heard Argo was really good at that. I'm like, do you think maybe it was about Argo CD because you can like define a source of truth and have it sync and deploy? And very quickly, I see teams kind of be like, oh, Workflows is cool for its own thing, but I'm actually kind of using it for the wrong thing just because I'm coming from CI CD and I'm thinking about Workflow Engine, CI Pipeline and extending that to deliver software. So that is like a kind of a funny little like people get stuck in that mindset. Yeah. Just because I'm lucky enough to have some of the co-founders of the project back when it was at Intuit and pre-Intuit, the Argo project did, I believe, start with workflows. And the story I've been told is like, 
workflows, they realized that they needed a, a more specific implementation of workflows for the deployment aspect because it, you know, we've all been pushing from Jenkins and all the other CIs for so long, running kube control apply in bash scripts that we, you know, it took a team that had a big, huge problem to try to figure out how do we make this, how do we make this a little more resilient? And of course, you know, you had Weave at the same time figuring this out. It's like everybody was coalescing on this same problem of Kubernetes is awesome. It solved a lot of problems, but the one thing that isn't awesome is having to type a command to deploy updates. <laughs> we yeah, need something a yeah. little more robust, right? The way Argo started goes back to a guy named Pratik who started this company, Appalatics, and their goal was to make a workflow engine that was Kubernetes native. And they, so I wasn't working directly with them at that time, but they were, we were both based in Mountain View. We were talking to each other. My co-founder, Raziel, who is the CEO of CodeFresh, was good friends with Pratik and some of the other members of the team. So we were very aware of each other and talking to each other. And they were showing off what they were building. And they were saying, look, we're building this workflow engine for Kubernetes. This is really interesting. And what was kind of at the time, I looked at it and I thought, you know, this isn't really like, there are a lot of things about this that for CI are not necessarily ideal, that are kind of more work than you would need them to be for kind of the primitives that were set up. But it was very interesting and we thought, you know, that's kind of cool. And so they were trying to, they were starting to try to commercialize it, not really finding the market. And on the flip side, Intuit came along and they said, this is really fantastic for handling data pipelines. Like we can handle really large data sets. We can take advantage of our Kubernetes infrastructure to do this stuff. And so they adopted it for that and they acquired Applatics. And mm -hmm. right after acquisition, the team was saying, you know, we need a really good way to get these workflows onto the cluster. And we're always going back and checking them into Git. And then we have to build like, it's like, well, we have to have a pipeline to push it, but that doesn't really make yep. sense because really we're just trying to keep things in sync. And so this is where Argo CD started. And, and it was right. It basically launched from Intuit and Intuit at the time we were looking at, we were actually getting ready to launch a commercial version of Argo CD and starting to work on the project and do contributions. And they said, you know, we really, you know, Intuit said, we're not going to ever commercialize this. This is something that we use for us and right. we want people that can come in and help run this project. And so our CodePress joined, then Red Hat joined, and pretty soon we had, you know, between BlackRock was a part of it. So between the four companies, we had really good, you know, maintenance and focus on this project to go take right. it forward and launch it. And so we got it into the CNCF and got it into graduation path. And yeah. I was going to say it worked. It worked. I mean, graduating from CNCF is no small feat, right? Like having the healthy community, having the healthy maintainers, having the customer evidence, I think is one of the requirements, right? Like having, oh, yeah. showing that it's solving people's problems and not just a solution looking for a problem. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're pretty happy about that. And that, that story and that growth, and now we've got, I mean, you can look on our, our site and we've got, I think like our community is huge. We've got like 200 officially, you know, uh, adopted companies in this list. We've got Google in there. We've got, you know, the Teslas and all right, those the Adobe's. Yeah. So yeah, there's definitely been a huge response from the community and a lot of love for Argo and Argo CD and Argo workflows. We just had a report come out. We did a survey of users and Argo's NPS was like 85, which if you're not familiar with NPS score, it's net promoter score. Basically you ask people how likely you always get those surveys. How likely are you to recommend this to a friend? 
And anybody that's eight, nine, or 10 is considered a promoter. Anybody that's less than seven is considered a detractor. Like they actually don't like your product. That's how they count it. Okay. And then you take the net of those and you score it. And so like the iPhone has like a score of like 65. It's like, that's really good. And, and a company like Comcast, not to pick on them, but it's like (laughs) negative, it's like negative 60. That's easy to pick on when they're that low. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. So like, that's kind of the range of it. And so Argo CDs being 85 is like, that's like, like what you can found a religion on, you know? Okay. That's like really good. That's how good it is. Wow. I like that. I like, well, I certainly am a fan of the GitOps religion. I think it was, you know, it was pretty early. I actually learned Flux first because I learned about GitOps from Weave. And which I still, yeah, which I still sort of use their GitOps guide. It's a pretty good one. And I give that to people. I'm like, if you're confused, because there are other companies, I'm not going to name names, but, you know, a company that has labs in their name, they, they don't, they seem to have the different wrong definitions. So I thought it would be good for us while we're constantly talking about this. You were a co-founder, I believe, of the open GitOps stuff, right? Like you were, and this was to me, so a a very significant departure from the mistakes of the past. And I wrote about this in my newsletter recently that one of the challenges with us being in DevOps is that it means whatever you want it to mean to anyone, right? I mm-hmm. subscribe to the very original sort of the DevOps handbook, you know, Gene and companies, and Kim's and all uh, these people were early days and sort of made a loosely defined book that, that you can create, def- but they weren't like one-liner definitions. And I think that was a real challenge, not necessarily a mistake because they didn't want to necessarily claim ownership of exactly what it meant. But now we, now every company uses it as a marketing term. These are all marketing terms now. And GitOps started to happen that way. Like we we started to see it very early on, like everybody was throwing it around. And what I love about this open GitOps standard was that you all, I mean, the, you tell me if I'm correct in this, but it looks like multiple companies came together and said, let's, let's make some hard rules so that you know if you're GitOps or not, so that you can know whether you've actually implemented it because just having infrastructure as code is not enough. Just having the ability to apply something or deploy something to Kubernetes is not enough. It's not Kubernetes specific. You know, I love that. I love that. So yeah, I mean, shout out to Alexis Richardson from Weaveworks on this because A, you know, he coined the term GitOps and B, when it came time to, hey, you know, this can be a real kind of set of principles that people could actually follow that means something that's not just a marketing buzzword, but it's actually like a discipline. It's like an implementation of continuous delivery, continuous deployment. Um, And he was very open to it. And so we launched this group called the GitOps Working Group. And I think the founding group was CodeFresh, Weaveworks, Microsoft. It was kind of Azure and GitHub because I think they were still separate at the time. Hmm. And then I think, am I forgetting anybody? Red Hat joined shortly after. They were pretty quick on the ball, but I think they weren't there at the very beginning. But at the as we kind of created this GitOps Working Group, the goal was Let's define GitOps principles as something that you can kind of measure yourself against. And we wanted to really be careful with the line here because we didn't want it to be a standard per se that you could like beat people right. over the head with and be like, right. you're not GitOps, you know, version one compliant. Because when you look at the principles of what we're trying to do with GitOps, for so many people, they're like, oh, I'm not even, I don't even have stuff defined declaratively. Or like, mm-hmm. I'm not even doing, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, whatever. So it's like, let's have these be principles that you can kind of adhere to and help you adopt and move along your journey so that you have kind of like, well, this is like a North Star where we'd like to get to. We understand that sometimes in the real world, 
because of different stakeholders or requirements, you can't quite get there. But ideally, you know, you have a North Star and you have something to build against. And so aspire to almost. Yeah. And it took a year. It took a year and we had, I think, over 100 contributors, 60 different organizations. I think there were close to 200 different contributors and 60 different organizations that were part of it for us to launch this as a set of principles. And what's amazing is we worked really hard to make them really short and understandable. But when you really understand each principle, when you really read it clearly and you understand it, it means a lot and it has a lot baked into it. So I was really happy with that result. Yeah. And I mean, I totally get the the challenge of how can we make this page, this huge article of an idea into a single line about version and immutable, right? (laughs) That's, that's got it. Like the shorter your statement has to be, the harder it has to be. Any of us that have had to write CFPs where they limit your response to like, you know, 80 characters for the title or whatever, we all, we've all been in that struggle. One of the things I've noticed even recently, of course, this is the challenge with naming thing, naming things is I was just having a conversation. I think it was yesterday, in fact, with a Docker team member. And we were talking about Flux and maybe Argo does this. I'm not actually sure, but the idea to use OCI registries for the actual artifacts in case you didn't necessarily have Git repo access from your clusters. Mm-hmm. And it was an interesting discussion, which, you know, GitOps has this word Git in it. Some people have said it's unfortunate that it has that word in there. I think that it, I feel, I mean, declarative ops, I don't know what, you know, what we could make some longer term, but I talk to people now and I'm realizing that maybe even Git isn't necessarily, as long as the, and the reality is you don't have the word Git in any of those four principles. That yeah. really, as long as these principles are maintained, it's okay if you're using, I mean, I'm a huge fan of OCI registries yeah. for storing everything. Everything is an artifact. So I'm on that this, bandwagon. This was very intentional. I mean, yeah. GitOps as a phrase, I think does a really good job of describing kind of the principle of what is Git? Git is version immutable, you know, version control, right? And right. so that's where the namesake comes from. And in the principle, we say that it needs to be state needs to be desired state needs to be versioned and immutable and that means you could store it in an oci registry you can store it in a google sheet right. you can store it in all kinds of ways that you want and it's not limited to get if you wanted to do it with svn you can as long as it's versioned and immutable it's GitOps. it doesn't even have to be using git so i think git captures the spirit you know of what it is and it's yeah. short which is nice yeah. i think that helps a lot because if it was uh, if it was versioned in immutable ops you know, no one would want to, you know, that hashtag sucks. We'd have to deal with an acronym and then we'd have to like, you know, like the CNCF, we have, you know, or some other many thousands of acronyms. We'd have to to tell people what the acronym is and then they'd forget. Um, VCS ops. No, yeah, I think. Yeah. 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 You know, and most, almost all of us are using Git anyway. So, but OCI's source of truth is definitely like a great use case. I mean, that's, that makes a lot of sense. You can sign it. You know, there's a lot of benefits to using OCI. Well, we have a couple of questions already. One of the questions, what if you don't have Kubernetes? So this is an interesting thing because GitOps, at least from my point of view, it felt like it came out of the Kubernetes ecosystem just because it, to me, it was like, that was where all the focus was on innovation, but this is in no way Kubernetes specific. Do you know of, have you seen other tools or have you seen people experimenting with the idea of GitOps in something outside of Kubernetes? Yeah, so if you go back to like the chef puppet days. And I mean, there's Mm -hmm. still a lot of people using that stuff. They actually had done some of the stuff that's in GitOps. And 
the guy who created Puppet on Twitter always, you know, he's yelled at me in the past on Twitter because yeah. he says, he's like, you guys are just repackaging something we were doing in the 90s. And I say, yes, yes, yeah, yeah absolutely. But it was really hard to do in the 90s. Yeah. And now it's really easy to do. So when it comes to Kubernetes, I mean, Kubernetes is ideal because it is such a great way to handle declarative state and it has really good reconciliation. So it is ideal for GitOps, but as long as you have some mechanism that can consume declarative format and check against it and apply it. And I mean, you can do it with Terraform. There's some tooling out there. And HashiCorp is actually coming out with a new version of their Terraform controller that is specifically designed to be better at handling kind of GitOps. Ooh, so I think that there exciting. are options that are that exist out there. But compared to like, we're definitely very, very far ahead with Argo CD and Kubernetes, we're, I think we're much farther ahead on GitOps than traditional infrastructure is. Yeah, that's where we're figuring out what we like and what we need and what we don't need. Like the fact that OCI registries can now be the endpoint, S3 can possibly be an endpoint for sort of the version and immutable aspects of it. And I'm having a conversation this week around, you know, air-gapped environments and, you know, if they don't have access to the code repos, because typically in an air-gapped environment, you don't have Git. It might not be a thing that you necessarily have access to directly. And we're, I feel like we're, you know, we're into the edge cases. We're into a little bit to the fringe. The I know with Argo, my favorite application set features now in the last couple of years have been bundled in. So that's a relatively new thing of like, oh yeah, yeah. we're all probably going to not want to manually create a YAML for every app manually by hand. And there's just, uh, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of, let's solve, let's make this as easy as possible while also at the same time having the four principles still followed. I just wanted yeah. to mention to that one of the person, someone else asked is Swarm, you know, how do you do this outside of Kubernetes? There is a technically a tool for Swarm. They call it Swarm Sync. It's GitOps for Swarm. It's not maintained. The last update was four years ago, which is a little unfortunate, which is why I don't recommend it anymore. But it was, a, it was a small right? project. They already got it right four years ago. <laughs> Yeah, well, and Swarm doesn't change, so it hasn't. We've only had a few feature updates since 2019, so it's not like it needs to maintain for breakage points. But I, if you didn't realize, I seem to foster a small little Swarm community, a small but passionate. Yeah, I know that people were like Swarm for life. Swarm never dies. We are yeah, Swarm. It's always fun to have someone on who has maybe like a history of like leaving Swarm or publicly denouncing Kubernetes the winner as if there was a fight. Because I always have to warn them and say, mm, just saying, so you no, know, this is the unofficial swarm hangout. So you're going to get people that are going to, I mean, if we have a tool on, someone's going to ask, hey, does that tool work on swarm? And, you know, of course, sadly, most of the time the answer is no. Yeah. But, you know, I love my swarm people. So, you know, people that just want, really, it's at the end of the day, it's not even probably that it's swarm specifically. It's that there's an aversion to the unnecessary complexity of some of the other products out there. So I I get you. That's why I love Argo and love, love GitOps is I feel like we're getting closer to a prescriptive CICD environment, you know, where, but five years, I remember probably at the same conference you and I met at those seven, 2017, 2018 days were days of, okay, we've, this container thing is definitely here to stay. Seems like Kubernetes and these other operators all are coalescing on the same idea the raft consensus, you know, all of this, these algorithms around distributed state awareness. What's the next real big problem? And we were all tending to agree that the CI CD aspect, the automation in the middle is this nebulous, you know, you walked into the world of Jenkins or drone back in the day or whatever, 
Travis. And it was an open, it was open, right? Like there was, it was a blank slate. It was like, you were the artist. This was your canvas and good luck, figure it out. Like you have yeah. code commits and then you have a server over there and you figure out what goes in the middle. And I feel like, at least for the CD part of this, I feel like the GitOps standards or principles are getting us all to start agreeing so that we don't, you and I can be at the different companies. And when we hang out, we don't have entirely different workflows. And if I hire you, you don't have to completely relearn how deployments work for my solution because it's- I mean, a, it's nice if there's a best yeah. practice. Yeah, it feels like we're getting closer to that. Uh, it's still relatively uh, new, but- I think it's a David Fincher quote where he's talking about filmmaking and he says something like, he says, there are infinite number of ways you could shoot a scene, but at the end of the day, there's really two and one of them is wrong. And <laughs> I feel like that's software delivery, you know, yeah. because when it comes to CI pipelines, and this kind of drives me nuts, right? Like if you go back and you think about the first CI pipelines, I was talking to Kat Cosgrove, Kat. the first CI came out in 1992. Yeah. And what did it do? It checked out a code repo. It built that code. It ran tests and it shipped an artifact. That's what it's, that's what it does. That's what CI right. pipelines do. And you can be, you know, bespoke about what kind of tests you run and how you handle caching and all these things. But at the end of the day, that's all it does. And it kind of drives me crazy that we reinvent pipelines over and over and over again for every single service. And this is kind of, this kind of goes back to one of the reasons that we started CodeFresh in the first place is because when it came to containers and it came to microservices, you had the problem of, I now have an explosion of services because I'm using microservices. And the old way of doing it was each service gets its own pipeline. So now I have a thousand services. That means I have to have a thousand pipelines. Why am I rebuilding the same pipeline over again? What are right. we doing here? Well, what is this Mickey Mouse approach to software delivery? Like, yeah, why I am I copy and was, pasting? Do not repeat yourself, right? Yeah. So anyway, that's kind of when we launched CodeFresh. It was on the focus of shared pipelines and the idea of I can create a single pipeline and it can have a thousand triggers for each different microservice that carries with it the context of what it needs to build and test and I'll do all that stuff. And I haven't looked back since. It's been very nice to have one pipeline that can handle a thousand different microservices. And, yeah. you know, it's all baked in and cached and, you know, it's easy to work with. Yeah. The reusability aspect of a lot of the, these modern solutions, I feel like, are, you know, it makes me cringe whenever I see someone still struggling and I hate to pick on Jenkins, but it's easy to pick on. It's kind of like Comcast <laughs> that, you know, it, it was just the very idea that we're going to define the workflows or, and the pipelines that you're using inside the code. And that's the only acceptable way to store, you know, whether it's beside the code in a different repo or in the same repo, regardless. The idea that back in the day, I mean, I was doing a lot of clicking and copying, pasting stuff into pipelines in Jenkins and they were stored in Jenkins, right? Like I wasn't necessarily connecting it to Git repos back, you know, back in the day, we Git wasn't near as popular. I might've been using a team foundation server or something. It kind of shows my age as the Windows guy. But it was very opinionated to the person who implemented it. And so that's the one thing that really irked me is you could go to five different companies and you would have five completely different processes. And there was usually only one person that could handle it because it was so complex. You, you, they usually also were a little bit of a server admin because you had to maintain the Jenkins servers. And yeah. so the developers were sort of disconnected from how their code was tested, built, and deployed. 
they were just, when it didn't work, they had to call a person. And that really, I think that my first sort of exciting jump into the, I would say modern automation, I don't even call, like to call them CICD platforms anymore because it's just automation platforms and they can do all kinds of things. I mean, when you're doing S-bombs and you know all this stuff, is that really CI? So I realized that when I started to engage with a new product or a new tool that was putting it in YAML or a similar format and the developers could understand it and that they could also affect change without being prompted or having to be trained by some CI, CD solution expert. And they were just like, no, 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 I want my, you know, I want to build it this way and I want these additional tests. And, you know, we probably should be changing it a little bit so that the assets we're deploying are immutable or whatever, right? And the, you were engaging the developers almost to the point where I wouldn't say that they were had complete responsibility for it, but it'll be, I felt like it started to become a shared responsibility between dev and ops. And that to me was like, okay, I don't want to even look at the old way we were all doing it because you know, when that one person leaves the company or they're on vacation and we can't fix CI because you know, that 45 minute long test run failed at 30 minutes from some random reason. Yeah. There's no one that can work on it except for that Jenkins person. Flaky um, CI tests are a bane on software delivery. I have a kind of macabre way of looking at this. I've been told it's off-putting, so I'll share it with you anyway. But I call this the bus number, which is like how many people can get hit by a bus before you, no one knows how to do anything. And if when it comes to like these bespoke CI tests, you know, flaky, whatever, it's like, usually there's like the bus number is one. There's like one person that knows how to do it. And that's a real problem. I mean, that's not because people should be expendable, but because as an organization, things should be clear enough that people can operate without always engaging a specific person. And it's actually yeah. a sign of kind of bad organization where you'll be like, oh, we have the, don't worry, we've got this superstar. This superstar, they're so good, everything hinges on them. And it's right. like, well, that's just vanity. Like yeah. that's, that, that's an organization built by vanity for this one person. If their stuff was that good, it should be simple enough that anybody can use it, right? That's like that Feynman, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. And mm-hmm. that's what your organization should be. It should be simple enough that anybody within the organization can operate it. You know, it shouldn't be bespoke. Yeah. If we, if we talk about, if we were to go down the rabbit hole of like jobs and like what it is to be senior, to me, it's like mentorship is almost number one of, mm-hmm. I don't care how good you are at what you can do. I want to know how many other people that are around you that you can also have trained to do that, right? Cross training and mentorship. And it, I think, I feel like, especially nowadays when none of us can know it all and there's just too much stuff for any one person in a team to be the expert on all of it. I feel like that's so yeah. important. But we have some great questions. The first one was really around Argo CD portability. Is there a way to migrate Argo CD from AWS GovCloud to our own company's AWS? So it's almost like how, I guess the question is, how portable is Argo CD in terms of one cluster to another? Yeah, so portable. And so We do have a project that is pretty useful. And when it comes to this opinionated stuff, we were talking about like, yeah, I want to know the right way to do stuff. I don't want it to be different every time. So there is this project that we built called Argo CD Autopilot. And basically what it is an opinionated way of setting up and running Argo CD. Now, you don't have to use this. This is literally just Argo CD with some defaults. So you you can create this yourself. But the nice thing is that we actually do provide a CLI And if I want to, I've got my repo, I've got everything defined, everything's in Git. 
if I go to a new cluster or my cluster's nuke, I can run Argo CD autopilot, bootstrap, dash, dash, recover, and it will install Argo CD, set up the config, have it pull from the source of truth in GitHub, and then it will just sync everything else that it needs to sync. So there's no issue about getting it back up and running. There's no additional setup. And one of the things that you mentioned about Argo CD being really popular is the wonderful UI. There's kind of like a, an adoption arc when it comes to Argo CD, which is when you first start using it, you're probably just using the UI and you're adding an application and you're rocking and rolling and it's great. But most of that stuff isn't actually stored in Git right? So when you create an application, you create an application YAML. It's a custom resource. There's a CRD for it in Kubernetes. And when you create that app, it just pushes it onto the cluster and it starts syncing, you know, according to what you've said, that app doesn't exist inside of Git. So Argo CD Autopilot does provide a way of generating applications and they're stored in Git. And then of course, if you're using CodeFresh, which is like the enterprise version of Argo, the UI actually writes everything to Git. So you don't get stuck in a situation where stuff is only existing in the UI. And most teams that I know who use Argo CD, they say, hey, we love this because it helped us learn how to use the tool, but we actually just disable all the UI stuff so that people aren't writing stuff just to state of in the cluster. It actually does need to go into Git. So that is like a, that's a pretty important aspect to it. Yeah. Autopilot is something that I've played with. In fact, it's kind of what inspired me around like some of the concepts that you basically auto write, you, you write all this YAML automatically, you spit it out, like, like you were saying. And I, I used it as a learning tool because it helped me understand mm -hmm. the apps of apps pattern a little bit more. And also how I could possibly have an app application resource kind actually point me to application set resource kinds, which then, then generate more applications. Now I'm like down the nesting dolls of three, three levels deep. So that was actually a really good tool. Even if I, I find that, even if it's something that you can't use for whatever reasons or if it, the workflow of it. But I love the opinionated aspects because sometimes, and th the things that I mentioned in my course is, you know, Argo, funny thing is Argo CD is not called Argo GitOps, right? So like it is a little bit like Kubernetes where it is, it can be, it is unopinionated. You can use the Argo CD command line. You can use complete YAML and completely ignore the command line. You can, you know, there are ways you can do it imperatively. You can do it in the UI. Right, you can make changes in the UI just like you can make changes in AWS if you allow it, if you allow it like that. So there are definitely a, sort of a lot of unopinionated or non-GitOps things that you can do with it. And so I think having these kind of tools or the guidance around, look, if you believe in the GitOps idea and you really want to try to stick to those principles, how can you make sure that you stay on the rails with Argo CD? And I liked the a little bit of the YAML output. I liked that opinionated, hey, we're going to make these standard folder structures and we're going to make it nice and easy for th things to reference yeah. each other. And yeah, it's a pretty cool tool. I even recommend, for those that are looking to get into GitOps, trying to understand Argo, definitely rec I recommend the autopilot tool because it, it can, it kind of almost can help you enforce some standards around the YAML that is easy to get. If you're just walking through the Argo CD setup welcome page and you're, you know, typing all these commands and doing this stuff at the command line, it can it can make you think that like, oh yeah, I can definitely go in and change that. I can sync and unsync manually from the UI and the web interface. And there's a lot of things that might end up being non-GitOpsy bad behaviors eventually. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, Argo CD, for example, doesn't say anything about repository structure. 
because mm, as a right. tool, Argo CD is ultimately unopinionated. But, and that's great because people can do what they want and they can, we can, you can adapt it to whatever you're already doing. But if you're getting started with a new repo, everyone asks us, hey, how should I set up this structure? Should I have a folder for apps? Should I have branches for each environment or should I use folders? Don't use fo branches, by the way, it's a terrible idea. But like, you know, all of that kind of stuff, it's like, you know, it's just baked in so that you just get the kind of opinionated experience and you don't have to follow it. You can break it. You can go in and tweak it. It's all sitting in your repo. You own it. So you can do whatever you want with it. So it is really nice in that way. So yeah, it's something I'm a big fan of. This person's asking why they would want to use GitOps over something like Git, uh, uh, Hub Actions, CICD. It's actually something that I'm passionate about because not always immediately obvious what you read the, the definition of GitOps and you're like, okay, but why? Yeah. So please do, please give us a, give so, us your scoop. Yeah. If you've got, let's say, for example, you have a cron job and all this cron job does is check out the latest changes from a repo and apply those changes to a cluster. You're done, right? I mean, why isn't that what GitOps is? And a CI pipeline is similar, right? So even a CI CD pipeline, and let's say you're using GitHub Actions or anything else, there are occasionally issues that happen where a trigger may not issue properly. There'll be an outage, a disruption, whatever it is, and you miss the trigger. And so the pipeline doesn't even run in the first place. This has happened, you know, it's, it doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. And yeah. you can be in a situation where you're trying to apply changes and they're actually out of sync. You're, you're actually applying changes to a state that you don't expect. And that can cause issues. And Certainly people have had outages because their CI CD pipeline just didn't run for whatever reason. So right off the bat in GitOps, you can't rely, you can use, but you can't rely exclusively on triggers to make your deployments happen. You actually need to have an active check for reconciliation. And that eliminates that section of problems of pipeline didn't run for some reason. There was some issue, there was some flakiness in a test or whatever, and it didn't happen. So now we actually have a declarative state that's being applied. So that's kind of one. But the other side of it is on the reconciliation side. So let's say that there is a change that has been made in production and it wasn't checked into Git. And people will say, oh, we never do that. People will say, oh, we never do that. You do do it. I'll show you where you do it. You probably have a pod autoscaler turned on that's yeah. going to change the number of replicas on the pod. As one does, that's great. That's awesome. You should do that. Well, should I have to check that change into Git? And this is maybe a little bit more controversial because this essentially represents a, a meta state. So with something like Argo CD, this is a really great feature that is called ignore differences where you can say as a policy, I don't want Argo CD to worry about reconciling number of pods because I've actually delegated that to some other controller. So don't right. worry about if that state changes. So you can kind of, set these rules about which kinds of changes would trigger auto healing and overwriting from Git and what kind of changes actually need to be left out. And there are a lot of use cases, not just auto scalers, but also security policy and things like that, where, you know, maybe it's writing some additional values. You have these other controllers. You really can't use active controllers in Kubernetes and do GitOps without using something like Argo CD, where you can ignore differences and set a policy to delegate those things to other things. So that's right. another advantage is kind of the active monitoring that Pellin is pointing out that you have as active monitor. Another one is just knowing the state. So if you think about CICD as your source of truth, 
where you have a pipeline that runs and issues a deployment, you're going to say, and if I said, hey, what's currently deployed? How will you figure that out? And I've heard people say, well, I go and look and see what pipeline is the last one that ran and that's what's running. Right. Maybe it is. You don't know that. You're inferring that. And maybe your organization has really good discipline and practices and security, but you don't actually know that's what's running. So you don't actually have ground truth about what's happening with your service. And so people will say, well, I go into Prometheus, I dig in the logs and I find the version number and then I know. And it's like, okay, well, that sucks. You know, that's a terrible way to do it. You know, so, <laughs> right, right. so even not everybody has access truth, to that. Yeah. And how do people yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that having that ground truth helps a ton just from a GitOps perspective. Yeah. I've heard some people say that they feel like when it comes to this, the difference between GitOps and maybe those that already do primarily infrastructure as code, they already have their pipelines automated. It's all defined in YAML and Git. And, you know, that it ends up being number four, that is the difference that you're probably not doing this continual reconciliation. And we, I think sometimes maybe with Kubernetes, we, because at least at the pod level, it can, you know, it'll restart containers that have failed. It has a rollback mechanism that yeah. you can enable it. It, it feels like we almost thought for a while that maybe we don't have to, like, maybe it takes care of that. Like maybe we can just not have to care. But the reality is, yeah, like you're saying, like unless someone's looking at a Kubernetes dashboard, it has kube control apply or kube control get abilities, even just read only, like unless they're at that level, it's hard to know the state of your cluster. And I think that's a real claim to fame for me, at least of Argo CD is that yeah. the web dashboard is not cluster admin focused. Like every other GUI for Kubernetes is to me, maybe there's one or two that are troubleshooting focused, but most of them are all like cluster admin. They care about nodes and yeah all the different resource types where I love that Argo CD focuses on the application that you're deploying, which may have lots of different resources and you need to understand their, their relationships of these resources and which ones are failing or which ones are currently rolling out. Or is the cluster actually in sync with what you've defined in Git and show me nice green buttons that give me this clear understanding of, yes, the cluster is in sync. What I see in Git is what's in the cluster. And it's, that's like, it's home bread and butter. It's just so my, I don't know about you, but when I'm consulting and I'm approaching teams with this stuff, my goal is always to give all the developers, usually through SSO mechanisms, like read only access to the Argo interface so that they, when their workflows run in their CI solution, they have a place to go to look and see what really happened, right? Because we all have that okay, well, my, my tests are running right now. Eventually it's going to update the Kubernetes or the Helm chart or whatever. It's going to do something. And then the developer's always like, okay, is it in production yet? Is it in production yet? They've got some personal workflow where they're like refreshing a page or they're, they've got a while loop or they've, they've done a Linux command on a watch to run the Git to see if the pods change. Like they've all, everyone's got their own little thing because yeah. they realize that whatever the CI tool is, even the kube control apply that that tool might be running that's declarative on itself, right? So it is applied to the API, but that doesn't mean your app is replaced or that it even right. worked, right? Yeah, like you're saying, I'm just re repeating what you're already saying, but I do love that the Argo CI, Argo CD rather interface is built in. You can you can enable it by default. It has all these wonderful enterprise -y features like SSO. And that to me is not necessarily a reason to do GitOps, but it is indicative of how GitOps is, in one way, it is very ops oriented and it's helping the ops team. But in another way, 
this particular product really helps developers understand what's going on in cluster from their application owner point of view, which is yeah. way different to me than the cluster admin point of view. I have full clarity of what's going on and what's out of sync and what's happening. Even though it's out of sync, I can still go in and look at the logs and see the events. And I'm looking at those events all the time when I'm tweaking stuff because it's like, oh, this PVC didn't mount properly or there's not an available node for what I'm doing or whatever. So this like this kind of drill down from a developer standpoint, so useful. And I mean, just even having a logical grouping of applications lets me look at like, you know, a sp the specific app that I'm working on, which, you know, Kubernetes doesn't have the concept of an app, right? Like it does, it's just like, you know, yeah. we got namespaces, we got resources, do what you're going to do. So being able to look at, you know, my section, even though it might be overlapping with some, you know, existing namespace or something, but I'm still scoping where I want to be. That's really helpful. Right. You and I could definitely do, I mean, there's videos all over the internet. If, for those that are interested in Argo, there's a lot of conference talks, entire conferences that have workshops and videos on YouTube about getting started with Argo. And so de there's definitely a lot of resources out there for that. The documentation is also really great. So I'm sure CodeFresh has a bunch of good documentation. You also yeah. have a GitOps certification. I'm assuming that's Argo focused or, you know, GitOps plus Argo. Yeah, we have a certification at learning.codefresh.io. We basically just charge the cost of infrastructure to run it because you do get labs and stuff, but it'll show you how to create your repositories, how to structure them, how to do your first Canary deployment, how to set up your applications, how to do application sets. And that's most of that stuff is actually even in the level one. The level two, which focuses on scale, goes a lot deeper into this stuff. And so it's been very popular, I think. This isn't public yet, so you'll hear it first, hear first, but I think we'll probably have a press release about this. But we have about 20,000 students now. So it is the fastest growing, most popular GitOps certification in the world and very highly recommended. So definitely check it out. And we have a, a Discord community that goes with it. So if nice. you're doing, I think it's very supplemental to the live training that you're doing, Brett, with, with Argo CD, and I think they go together well. So would definitely recommend that. Yeah, that's the challenge with, live training is I can't make, I can't make you sit through 20 hours of slides and zoom. Right. So, yeah. so yeah, the live training is very much about patterns and practices and implementing, I think probably what's, what someone could really learn through this certification, the features and the sort of the optimized workflows. And, you know, there's a lot of things that like you like we were talking earlier, there's a lot of things with Argo that you can go down rabbit holes of amazing features, but you might implement them in a way that's actually going to, you might regret, or it might have side effects. And so one of the things that I've been able to do with the live training, we actually interview you before we get your information before you're in the course so that the course is specific to the problems the people that are in the class have. And that's something that like no, like none of my video, after 23 hours of Docker mastery, I still don't have stuff in there in that course that's probably very specifically applicable to your Java app inside of GovCloud inside, you know, like. Yeah, that when people want that kind of implementation, they have to go for consulting and consultants yeah. are ex expensive. So that was the whole idea was like, how do we how do we productize consulting, but also make it applicable to more than one team at the same time? And we so that's kind of how the approach we took there. But this is super cool. I love that it's called GitOps Mastery. I love that it's GitOps Mastery. Ode to the mastery word. I, that was that was something I love to put in the courses because it's hard to it's hard to come up with good naming nowadays. Can we actually answer this question? I think this is actually a really yeah. important point about GitOps. And this isn't necessarily a principle thing. This is more about an implementation thing. And 
from a GitOps principle standpoint, either of these are going to be functional. But is asking, you don't recommend using Gitflow. We should be using GitHub flow or trunk-based development, something like that. This is, here's what I recommend. So I've got an application and in this application, I'm doing trunk-based development. So I've got a branch, I've created feature branches. I work on them, they tested, and then they're synced in and we run builds and that kind of stuff. So this is trunk-based development. Now for my GitOps repo, I do not recommend doing trunk-based development. So I do not have a separate branch for staging, a separate branch for dev. What we do is we do take pull requests and stuff, but when I look at an application, I have a folder for each environment that represents the different values, you know, if it's a Helm chart or if it's an overlay, if it's a customization that represent those things. So all of these environments are modeled between folders and I can run a git diff between, I can run a diff between two folders, you know, no problem. And this saves a lot of headache with adopting GitOps that people get when they try to do trunk-based or branch-based environments. And the problem is that it's hard to do diffing. It's hard to copy changes between them. It's very easy to do between folders. And you also have, if you need to do disaster recovery, I can just rebootstrap this whole repo and all of my environments come back. So I don't have to actually care about that. Whereas if you're doing trunk-based, of course, you have to go and like bootstrap each individual you know, section. So it's trickier. So this is definitely something we recommend from a structure standpoint is to follow this folder-based environments. I've got my applications and then under I have each environment and which applications are going to be deployed to those environments. So these are all represented in YAMLs, right? My application custom resources. And then I have a separate folder for my manifests where I model out the actual environments for all these. And if it's not a Helm chart, you know, it's maybe it's just a customization or maybe it's literally just YAML, whatever it is, it's represented in the different environment folders. And I have what I need to work you know, and do my comparisons and stuff. And I actually really like customize, but you can do it with Helm or customize. Either one's fine. Yeah, I also, I'm also a customized fan. My general guidance has been for a while now that for internal software, this is like a very common question in the courses is, you know, customize Helm versus Helm, like whatever. And I don't know about you, but I tell people like, you're going to, you're going to have to use both. Like you're going to have to learn both. I'm sorry. You're probably not gonna be able to get through your Kubernetes career with containers or with their if you're going to do Kubernetes, these are the two tools to use. Yeah. The Helm is great for consuming third-party projects out there, open source projects, you know, Postgres clusters, complicated tools. But if you're making software internally for your team to deploy, try customize first. Try to use the folder structure that Dan's showing. I find that it scales extremely well, especially with Argo CD and application sets. You can actually free the developers from any additional YAML creation, which yeah. they love. <laughs> the, you know, the biggest complaint I get about GitOps is too much YAML, too many PRs. I don't want to have to have three <laughs> PRs to deploy my application. All I want to do is feature branch and then maybe one more thing, maybe one thing. And you can do that with Argo in a safe, reliable, main, human gated production deployment way. It's actually, that's the way that I teach it in the courses is like that is usually I can get, I can convince the developer teams, hey, I know that you have to write some of this Kubernetes YAML. I get it. It sucks. But once we get the template down, when you're doing your feature branches in your apps, ideally there's only one other PR you have to approve and then production is done. Like I won't make you edit YAML every time you want to deploy. Like that's a little, it feels a little too much when you're doing 20 deployments a day to no, edit YAML. Yeah, I want to mention take that. I mean, it's tedious yeah. and 
best case scenario, you know, you're just going to accidentally fat finger a change one day and you'll have to undo it. Whereas yeah. if you use automation, it's just going to be done perfectly every time. So it's a lot easier. Hey, listeners, in this edited version of the show, we skipped the demo. So if you wanted to check that out, then check for the live stream replay link in the show notes. Now back to the show post demo. So yeah, the magic is basically just making a commit. I mean, it's, it just doesn't sound that magical when I just say it like that, but that, that makes it really easy. Yeah, I think, I mean, you and I are, we were talking before the show, you know, there's lots of CIs out there and I, I sadly don't know CodeFresh as much as I know Get Actions, but that as long, I always feel like I don't have a really good name for this thing in a generic term of the industry. I've been calling it in, the, in my course and the auto GitOps PR. <laughs> approach or whatever. And you can have that commit or that pull request automatically committed. And then magic happens with Argo and it picks up the change in Git. Or you can have, you can choose to have it gated. I call it human gated where you, you need someone who's, what is it? The, the monkey needs to click the button <laughs> to deploy to production. It's like, I need to have a human. I, we don't yet tr fully trust everything in our automation. So there needs to be one final thing in production yeah. for that developer. And the developers can have access so you can control it and maybe only ops or DevOps has access to it, right? They, I think any of these solutions, like you said, any fresh code, fresh, I almost called it fresh ops. Maybe that's a, is that a name? Fresh ops? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Co whether it's code fresh or some other CI, whether you all are, if, whether or not the people listening are able to use code fresh, you can implement this in a PR style. And the trick is you're going to have to do that cross repo PR or commit to, you know, whether it's going to be a commit, whether it's in a feature branch or not. But that's, I think to me, one of the big aspects of getting devs on board with GitOps, because I have implemented it. I've implemented this, everything's in Git, including the deployment specifications. And the one burden I think a lot of people have is, well, this is great. This is all infrastructure's code now. I can see it all everywhere. But it's a, I have to, I had a team where they were doing, they went from one PR for every application feature, right, that merged. They went from one PR to three because they had set up a, a this approach where then they needed to go change the image in the Helm chart or the customized YAML manually, which like you're saying, like you, we talked about earlier, to go find out what the name of that new image tag is, or if, especially if you're trying to do secure supply chain and you have to get the Shahat, you know, you've got to get that digest. That's a long thing. You're never, it's hard to find it. You got to make sure it's the right one that's in the registry. Anyway, you have to figure out that process. And then they were also editing the application spec for Argo and they were specifying it in there, even though they didn't need to. They were hard coding it in there. So they had this very arduous, you yeah. know, full of YAML edits, potential for human error. And they thought that was GitOps. Like, I mean, and it is, nothing wrong it with it. It's just, they, yeah. yeah, they thought that that was in order to be GitOps, that they had to have all these PRs that humans had to make. And our first goal was they were using a bunch of different things. They were using drone and Jenkins and a whole bunch of different stuff all at once. And our goal was. Let's automate these this with a, a, some simple automations that aren't too scary so that you, the only thing the dev has to do after they commit their feature branch into their app repo is one other human gate that is a button on a PR or something. And then yeah. eventually for like staging, they made it automated. We use the image. I think for them, we use the image updater, which we sadly don't have time to talk about, but yeah, they use the image great. updater approach. Yeah. For staging and like the sales and dev clusters and then for production it was still the final button push for you know they didn't want to push the button on a friday afternoon so if someone was committing app code on friday they were going to hold that button until monday or whatever like that was their approach which is totally fine and totally totally get ops
Get your automation right. out of your way. It's supposed to be enabling yeah. you. Yeah, especially if you got tools like, you know, code. If you're on all these tools like CodeFresh, like you've got Argo CD already, you've got all these modern tools, like you, you need to make it easier. It doesn't have to be all or nothing, I feel like. And that's kind of sometimes the message we tend to simplify this all down to is like, you need to have a bunch of Git PRs manually by humans, or you have to go full speed. You know, you're automating everything. And the minute you merge a feature branch in the app, you just like, you stand there and wait and wait and hope that production doesn't Yeah, If you're doing that, then you yeah, we don't have to go all the way in. Yeah. Well, that's our approach too, even from a company perspective, all those features from the GitOps perspective, from like GitOps dashboard, those work with CircleCI or GitHub Actions or Jenkins because we have people who come to us and they're like, hey, I've got 10,000 pipelines. I want to rebuild them all just so I can get this extra visibility in my GitOps right. tool. And it's like, yeah, you know, shouldn't have to. That's fine. We're just going to integrate it. You know, yeah. we're not going to compete on that. That is true. Or, I mean, I, it's rare in large enterprises that I walk into that they only have one CI platform and oh, no, Argo lot, yeah. CD. Yeah, and Argo CD can point at all of them. And it has a... a I, what I love about the project is it's popular enough now that there is, like, if you if you're using a reasonably modern, I mean, if you're using Azure DevOps, if you're you know, whatever you're using, there's probably if you're using Bitbucket, there's probably an integration in Argo or a way for Argo to use that. Well, there's it's, not. It's a pretty Argo, robust. Yeah, Argo CD by itself doesn't actually have awareness of CI in any way because it's just looking at the source of truth in Git. So yeah. as long as your CI is updating that Git repo, then Argo CD will pick it up. From the CodeFresh perspective, the integrations with CI are around visibility into those commits. So extracting the right. information from which artifact was updated, what were the pipelines that built that, what were the commits that were made. So it's more about bringing application level changes into the infrastructure layer so you can actually see what's going on because that's more useful from a developer, DevOps, operations person's perspective than just yeah. knowing that an image tag changed. Yeah, I like it. I like. I love the... I mean, we're all trying to achieve that utopia of one dashboard for the entire life cycle of my software. Like, you know, we're always trying to strive for that. Okay, rapid fire questions, because I know we're running long. Okay. Let's see if we can answer these. I don't, I'm the worst at answering things quickly, so I'll let you answer them. What are the best practices of Argo CD rollout? Yeah, any suggestions for Argo CD cluster for prod environments and best practices? I feel like we covered a lot there. That's yeah, I mean, about. I think for Argo rollouts, like just start using it because even if you don't have really great templates for your analysis template, which is how you actually do your health check, you can just start doing a canary and it will just catch basic failures right off the bat. So just start doing it and you can always fine tune and build out your analysis template later. And Argo rollouts, we just announced a plugin for it that adds cluster API support, which extends the number of load balancers we provide support for from like eight to like 24, something like that. So no matter what load balancer you're using, there's going to be an option with Argo rollouts to use it via the Gateway API plugin. Nice. Yeah, Gateway API. The, yeah, I mean, for the elevator pitch, I feel like for Argo's rollout specifically is that you don't have to use it. It's an optional thing. You know, do the other things first. I feel like they have a bigger impact. And then once you've got all that refined, if you find that the default Kubernetes style of deployment rolling updates. If that doesn't meet all your needs and you need blue green or canary, go check out rollouts. It's definitely, it's definitely cool yeah. stuff. It, interestingly, Salesforce adopted Argo rollouts first. So they started doing canary on like 10,000 services before they did anything else. They didn't even oh, really get off. They didn't have the syncing happening. All that stuff was like, you know, that was day two problems. They did Argo rollouts first. That's true. I guess that the reality of rollouts is it is 
if you don't think, if you don't have the problem and you will know when you have the problem that requires things like blue, green and canary styles. And, and to be clear, I agree yeah. with you. They yeah. probably would have gotten more bang from their buck if they had adopted Argo CD first. But Argo rollouts is really easy to adopt. It doesn't require, you know, any change in your software development, you know, CICD process to start using it. So that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. And it is one of those things where kind of like you, when you realize you need ingress, it, 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 there's usually like a day in your Kubernetes journey early on where you're like, okay, we can't solve this problem any other way. We need an ingress <laughs> provider. Right. So like, yeah. that's what I feel like with the rollouts. It's like, okay, our, the, the application at scale that we're using, we definitely need a canary style deployment and we, and it doesn't do that. We need a provider. All right. Next question. Any ideas on combining Dagger with Argo? Ooh, this is a little, this is an edge case. I don't know if you've played with Dagger. This is, a little bit, for those yeah. who don't know. Yeah, this is Solomon Hikes, an inventor of Docker, the founder of Docker. Originally, he, this is his next big project. It's like a CI in your CIs. It's kind of how I describe it, or a CI by code that you can wrap. And that it's really, to me, the teams that I know that are using it, their claim to fame is that they can finally run all their CI locally exactly the same way as they run it everywhere else. And it's and even though I'm sure CodeFresh probably has, I'm guessing, a local runner command and other CIs have that. GitHub Actions doesn't. You can do it, it, but you have to download a 60 gig Docker image that still it doesn't is a problem. everything. I feel like it's one of those tools that the teams I know that use it, it's because they have five different CIs and they don't have the power to consolidate. So this is like their, this is like their workaround yeah. <laughs> to consolidation. So go yeah, check out I, Dagger. Yeah, and I think that question of integrating, I mean, hey, if you're having Dagger make you Git commit, Argo CD is going to pick it up, you're done. So I don't think you yeah. ne necessarily need any direct calls, but you could, of course, hit the API and there's pretty good documentation, Swagger documentation for hitting the API if you need to. And if you just want to run a container, we have those steps available in the codefresh.io slash steps. There's like containers that are available that you can just run to run commands against Argo. Right, right. Yeah, I don't even teach Dagger in my in the course on GitHub Actions because it's one of those pro it's one of those things where like and it's brand new. Yeah, it's brand new, and yeah. they've pivoted a, a, a time or two. I haven't even had them on the show because I want to make sure that whatever whenever we have them on the show in six months, it's not out, it's not irrelevant. Yeah. And they're kind of trying to figure out the space. But I feel like it's a pro it's one of those problems, maybe like rollouts where you have to have a lot of pain in order to convince someone to wrap their CI in another CI, essentially. And yeah, it's a problem you maybe don't have. Real quick, Argo CD is deployed using Helm. Can you tell us all the ways you can deploy Argo? Yeah, you can deploy it using plain manifest. You can use, deploy it using customized. You can deploy it using Helm. Red Hat has an operator. CodeFresh has an installer. Argo CD autopilot it lets you do it with a command line. So all those options are available. The Helm chart is technically not maintained by Argo. It's actually a community-maintained project, but it's very good. They've done a ton of work on it in the last year, so it's quite excellent now. So if you're doing Terraform, plus the Helm chart to like bootstrap stuff. That's a great pattern that I've seen. Perfect. All right. I always, yeah, I always test everything locally first. Is there an easy way to point Argo at a local Git repo branch? Not local on your machine, but I run Argo CD on my local Docker desktop Kubernetes all the time to test Argo things. And it can look at your brand, your feature branch in the cloud. It is also something where you can just if you don't want to have it pointed to a repo branch and you just want to have Kubernetes, you know, like if you want to just apply changes to Argo locally, you can still, I mean, Argo itself is all those tools are Kubernetes workloads. They get deployed into Kubernetes through Kubernetes commands. So yeah, with my local cluster, for example, is kind of what I do, which is 
I'll work directly against my local cluster, but I'll have Argo CD there monitoring and showing me so I get the diff of changes and stuff. And so that helps me know, you know, if I if something goes wrong and I need to reset it, I can just resync it and override everything back to the way it was. So I find it really helpful in that capacity. But yeah. you know, you're not checking in changes when you're working on it locally. So you don't want that to be the source of truth. You want it to be your reset option, you know, to get your right. development environment back to where it's supposed to be. I mean, maybe this is a little longer discussion, but there is an, an, I want to make more documentation and this is actually going to be implemented in my training course, but the pull request generator for application set. Oh, that's awesome. There is this wonderful idea of for in temporary environments or Epic based or PR based environments where you want to spin everything up. The PR generator is might something you might look at. Although, I mean, could I run like, what's the easiest way to run Git T or something else locally that actually has a Git endpoint and an, a web interface that I could then point Argo to? Like, I've never actually done that. I don't know anyone that's asked for it, but hey, someone just asked. So maybe that's a thing. Dan, how can we follow you? You're on Twitter. How can we get the Dan updates? On Twitter at Today Was Awesome. On LinkedIn, sometimes I post there as well. And then I mentioned that we have a GitOps Champions Discord for people that do the certification. So that's another great place to talk. And then CNCF Slack, I'm there if you need to DM me. Perfect. I'm actually spending, I find that I'm actually spending less time on Twitter and more on LinkedIn. There's a lot of really great content being shared on LinkedIn right now. So I feel like, especially around Kubernetes, GitOps, containers, all the things. So maybe you'll, we will see you all over there. Thank you again, Dan. It's been far too long to have you on the show. I can't wait. We'll, we're definitely going to have you back because this is a hot topic. All right. I appreciate it. I love it. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode. Mm -hmm.